Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Now, we've been reading through the, uh, the uh, life of David uh, together, and I'll tell you what, there are just so many stories we didn't get to get to, um, uh, partly because uh, I've been away at local pastor's licensing school, um, but also just there are just so many good stories we wouldn't have got to anyway. And so we fast forward ahead in David's life. Um, he has ascended to the throne of Israel. He has made his capital in Jerusalem. And he has managed to unite the 12 tribes for the first time um, under uh, his leadership. And uh, he's, had, uh, he, he's now at peace with the Philistines, and he's brought the Ark of God uh, from Shiloh to Jerusalem. So he's accomplished a lot. And now he's just sort of uh, sitting in his throne He's, he's a man of activity, and he's looking around, and he's saying, what's next? What do I do next? And so that's where we find King David uh, at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. Hear now the word of our Lord. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any one of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now, I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed." Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with flogging inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, who I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. 
your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of his entire revelation. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So I've got this um, this gift. It's kind of a, a kind of a superpower, really. Um, I I've got an amazing uh, what I would call gift radar. Now it usually kicks in around this time of year. I'm kind of gigging ready for Christmas, and I'm picking up on little clues. It's a thing I inherited from my mother. You know, she was always really good at, at picking out the perfect gift for people. And so uh, this time of year, my gift radar starts going. I start picking up on little clues, seeing what, you know, people's frustration, things they have, they don't have, what they need. And I'm always on the lookout for the perfect gift, the thing um, that, that the person wants that they don't know they want, right? That I'm going to surprise them with, with, with how thoughtful and in tune I am. And... Uh, this gift radar, it's a good gift, but it, 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 it backfires occasionally. You know, sometimes uh, the person tells me plainly exactly what they want, and I kind of lose interest in that, right? I'll pass that on to somebody else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the thing they don't know they want, right? And, uh, and then sometimes I just get a plain wrong. I'm thinking a couple of years ago... Um, Crystal was on kind of a fitness kick, and uh, and she complained one morning that uh, that that she couldn't get up and go to the gym before she went to work. Um, and so my gift radar, you know, started going off, and I took that information with me to Target. And uh, I, I, this year I thought, okay, I'm going to give Crystal everything she needs to uh, have her own home gym at home, right? And so I, I get uh, like, um, like fitness, those, those, uh, those fitness balls and, uh, and tension bands and, uh, and those, uh, those, those towels and, uh, and, and weights, kickboxing DVDs. I mean, the whole gamut. It was like Christmas at the Biggest Loser Ranch. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm being so encouraging, so supportive. She's going to open these things, and she's going to be speechless. <laughs> well, some of you husbands know exactly what happened. Uh, she did open those things, and she was speechless. <laughs> and I don't mind telling you, it was the beginning of a long, dark period in our marriage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was all because I didn't really ask Crystal what it was that she actually wanted for Christmas. I would have been better off if I'd sold a kidney and got one of those uh, forever diamond bracelets from Kay. Um, but have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten someone a gift that they really showed no interest in or that they didn't really want or need or worse yet, maybe even offended them a little bit? 
Maybe you did it for a significant other or a friend um, or a family member. But King David decides to get a gift for someone, and it's God Almighty. And God says, that gift that you're thinking of getting me, I don't want it. See, uh, here David is, he's run out of things to do, right? He, he, he's run out of, uh, he, he's, he's made peace with all the, the tribes to the, to the east and the west, and he's established his throne, he's built his palace, he's, he's, he's politically united the tribes, he's kind of out of things to do, and he's a man of action, so he's looking around and he's thinking, what's next? What do I do next? And he gets in his head that he needs to build a temple for God. That he needs to build God a house. He looks around and he says, here I am in this, this, this beautiful palace uh, laid with, 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 with polished cedar. And the ark of God is still in a tent. And I need to, I need to build God a house that is worthy of him. And so uh, he tells the prophet Nathan, and Nathan is excited about it too. And so they leave the meeting excited. They know exactly what they're going to do next. We're going to build a temple. One person they forgot to ask, though. They forgot to get on their knees and ask God if this is what they were supposed to do next. Churches do that all the time. I was a part of a church that spent years building a bell tower for no reason. <laughs> didn't, you know, didn't help the ministries of the church at all. Just spent a lot of money. We do that all the time. We just go ahead with our plans without uh, really asking God if it's what we're called to do, if it's what he has planned next. And so Nathan goes home that night. And, um, and he was excited earlier in the day, but that night he can't sleep. That night he's tossing and turning. Something's just not sitting right with him. And then he has a dream. He has one of those vivid dreams, the kind that you can, you can walk around in and, and that you remember verbatim the morning after. In that dream, God speaks to him. And he says, about that temple you're thinking of building, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, why have you not built me a house of cedar? About that temple you're thinking of getting me? Thanks, but no thanks. I don't want it. It begs the question, why did David just assume that God wanted a temple? Why did, why did David and Nathan just assume that this was the next thing to do, that this was the next logical step, that, of course, God wants a temple? 
Well, to understand that, you have to know a little bit about the way uh, people thought about temples in the ancient Near East. Who's happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Good, everybody. Me too. What do you mean by that? Not the happy part. We all know what it means to be happy, right? Um, but the house of the Lord part. What do you mean when you call this building the house of the Lord? Do you mean that God lives here and that he commutes everywhere else? And if this is the house of the Lord, then what is Fairview? What is Auburn? What's that big honking Baptist church that we don't talk about, right? What, what are all those places if this is the house of the Lord. See, as Christians, we have this New Testament theology, right, that tells us that wherever two or more are gathered, that, that, that Jesus is with them. And so when we gather here together uh, on, a, on, a, on a cold, windy morning, Jesus is faithful to show up. And so this becomes the house of the Lord. We understand that God is everywhere, but that he's here in a special way when we gather here. It's kind of a mystical kind of understanding of the house of the Lord. But for the ancient Israelites, it was much more concrete. If you looked at an ancient Israelite and you said God is everywhere, they would have looked at you sideways. They wouldn't really have understood what you meant by that. See, that was, a, that was a theology and understanding of God that would come much later. Through the ancient Israelites, God was only in one place at one time because God was an invisible spiritual being, but a being nonetheless. And he was only in one place at one time. Right? He was either up in heaven, up on Mount Sinai, or above the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant in this tent that we built for him. God was only in one place at one time. And if God was in the place you were in, then that was good news for you, right? Because God's, God's presence and God's favor was, was with you. And you wanted God's presence and God's favor when you were marching into battle, because the other army was going to have their God's presence and their God's favor, right? And so you wanted, you wanted God to be with you where you were. And so in the ancient world, you would do this by invoking God's presence. I mean, we still do this, but we just don't quite mean the same thing when we say, God, come be present with us. We understand that God is everywhere, but, but that he can be here in a special way, right? We're kind of mystical about it. But for, for, for an ancient Israelite, what they mean is come down from heaven and be here, right? And so if, uh, if, if you were in the ancient world and you wanted to ensure God's continued presence and favor for you and for your kingdom, then your first order of business was to make him a permanent home. Make him a place where, where he could stay in perpetuity, where he wouldn't leave. You didn't want him to go back up into heaven. You didn't want to go over to the holy mountain. You wanted God to be with 
you and your people. And so you built him a permanent home and you built him a home that, that, that was worthy of a God. The, the most glorious and most beautiful buildings in ancient cities weren't the king's palace. It was the temple of the God because you wanted to make sure that, that, that the God wasn't going anywhere, that they had all the amenities they needed right here in the temple. So, in David and Nathan's mind, God's run out of things to do. We've, we've won all the wars. Uh, we've established the kingdom. We, we, we've, you know, we've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now we're finally in the land. We're at peace from our enemies. God might decide his work here is done. Decide to go back into heaven or, or go to Mount Sinai. And so we need to hurry up and make a permanent building for God to stay in. That tent that we carried with us through the Sinai wilderness, that was a temporary situation. We need a permanent home for God. See, David is afraid that God's presence and God's favor is about to leave. And so in his mind, he needs to do one more thing to make God stay. He needs to do one more thing to, to make God stay, to make God's presence continue to be in his life, to make God continue to bless his endeavors. So he's going to build a temple. I wonder how many of us ever feel like we've got to do something else. We've got to do one more thing to, to make sure that God's, God's presence and God's favor is still in our lives. I wonder how many of us, think of, think of King David. He's done all this stuff, right? He's gone to war with the Philistines. He defeated Goliath. He was, an, he was anointed. He, 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 he rose through the ranks. He, he was made king. He did all of these things for God. He was called a man after God's own heart. He wrote all of these psalms. He had, he had a great resume. And he was still, he was still worried God was going to lose interest in him and wander off. I hear it all the time. People feel like they're not doing enough. I hear it all the time. It's variations on a theme. Everyone phrases it a little bit differently, but, but, but the word there that I always hear is, I should. Preacher, I know I should come to church more. But this is, this is just a really busy time in our lives. Oh, preacher, I know I should come to Bible study. Uh, but, but you don't understand. There's, just, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, preacher, I, I know, I, know I, I, I should pray more. I know God's disappointed with my prayer life. Uh, it's just really hard sometimes. I know I should. I know I should. I know I should. Right? We've, we've, we've got this, 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 this nagging guilt that we're not doing enough somehow. That all that we've devoted to God throughout our entire lives is not enough to assure his continued presence and favor. I should do one more thing. 
But here's the insanity. If you added that extra thing that you know you should do, there'd just be something else. <laughs> you'd, just, you'd just add something else to, to your imaginary to-do list from God. Some of us think of God like he's this maniac cruise director, right? Like we're all on the boat on the way to heaven, and God just wants to fill up all of our time, right? Doesn't want anyone resting and soaking in the sun, right? It's, 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 it's limbo, followed by games, followed by bingo, followed by ballroom dancing, followed by uh, the buffet, followed by we're going to do a game show night, right? <laughs> all of this stuff. We feel like God is disappointing in us if, if all of our time is not consumed with godly things. It's good. It is a good thing to feed the poor. It is a good thing to worship. It is a good thing to search the scriptures. It is a good thing to pray. But these things are good because they help us to live our lives, not because God wants to consume our lives with them. If your parents are sick, if your son's decided he's playing three sports this spring for some reason, if God has cursed you with toddlers, it's okay. It's okay. God is not out to consume your life. God is not out to drain you of every drop of blood you have. That's not your job. But I hear it all the time. I'm just not doing enough. I know I should. I know I should. I know I should. But you know what I'm about to tell you? There is no enough. There is no enough. So after God says to, to King, King David through Nathan about that temple, thanks but no thanks, listen to what he says next. Now, I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they will have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. My love will never be taken away from them. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God says, you don't build a house for me. I'm building your house. I'm going to establish the house of David and, 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 and it is going to reign forever. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not packing up my tent and leaving. I am in this thing for the long haul. I'm going to continue to be with you and with your children and with this nation forever. My presence and my favor does not leave. 
This paragraph is called the Davidic Covenant, by the way. It's the, it's the covenant, the, the, the promise that God makes with King David. And if you look closely at that passage, you'll see that God lists all the things David has to do to uphold his end of the bargain. I'm going to tell you those things right now. Nothing. Right? There's no, if you keep the Ten Commandments, then I will do this. There, there's no, um, if you promise to go to Bible study on Wednesday nights, I will do this. There's none of that. It's a one-sided covenant. God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. You do not have to build me a house. I will build your house. God's presence and God's favor in our lives is an un merited gift of grace. It is not something we have to do enough to get. There is no enough. It's an unmerited gift of grace. Hear the good news. You don't build God's house. God builds your house. A little while ago, I was watching this, uh, this, this interview with Dr. Jane Goodall. Um, many of you know she's the, uh, that British ethnologist uh, that went and lived with the chimpanzees uh, back, in the, back in the 70s, I think. And, um, and she talks about how when she first went to Tanzania to, to live with and observe the chimpanzees, it took a while for her to be accepted into their, uh, into their culture, I guess you'd call it. Um, she learned many fascinating things through her, through her years of living with the chimpanzees, but it took a while for them to, to warm up for her. And in this interview, she described the moment she knew that, that she was finally accepted uh, by the chimpanzees. Um, she said she used to follow them around and, and she would offer them, uh, she would offer them, them food and they would eat the food, and while they were eating the food, she got to kind of observe them. It says, one day she was following behind this uh, pack or gaggle or murder of chimpanzees, whatever they are. She was following behind this group of chimpanzees, and, uh, and most of the group went ahead, but one chimpanzee stayed behind. This is a chimpanzee she affectionately named David Graybeard. And, um, and David Graybeard was a, a chimpanzee that uh, was like jet black, right? Um, uh, all, except, uh, all except for like uh, the silver around his mouth. Kind of like, you know. So, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so David Graybeard stays behind and... And, uh, and Jane Goodall is doing her normal thing, right? She's got this red palm nut, and she's, uh, she's reaching out with her hand, offering David Graybeard the red palm nut. And so the, the, the chimpanzee comes up closer, and she says the chimpanzee uh, puts his hand in hers, takes the red palm nut, tosses it over his shoulder, and then takes his hand and gently squeezes her. She says, that was 
the chimpanzee's nonverbal way of communicating. I don't care what you have to offer me. I just want to spend time with you. Takes the palm nut and tosses it over its shoulder. Friends, that is exactly what God does for us. We come to God with our offering, right? Here, take this, take this, so, and, and, and let it satisfy you long enough so that I can just hang out with you for a little while, right? And God just takes that offering, tosses it over his shoulder. I don't need that. I don't need that. You don't build my house. I build your house. Who's happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? It's not the house of the Lord because we built it for God. It's the house of the Lord because God built it for us. It's not made of fine cedar, but by the 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 rough-hewn wood of the cross. This morning we are sitting in a house that grace built because we came to God like beggars and we said, is this enough? Is this enough? And God took our paltry offering, tossed it over his shoulder and said, you are enough. You are enough. God's not out to drain you of every drop of blood. You know how I know? Because Jesus died on the cross and his precious blood built this house. His precious blood paid for this house. God says, you don't build my house. I build your house. This is the house that grace built. Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples. He's going to go and be crucified during that upper room. And in the Gospel of John, we have this extended, long conversation between Jesus and the disciples. And here's one of the things he tells them. I'm about to leave. I'm going away. And where I go, you can't go. You can't follow See, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going up there now to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may also be. See, we don't build a house for God. God builds a house for us. There is no enough. There is no list that we can fulfill. There is no amount of things we can do that buys that. Jesus paid it all. And the good we do is simply in joyful response to that debt we can never repay. The good we do is simply an act of worship, simply a way of saying thank you. It's not an obligation. See, they're going to build that house. They're going to make that temple, but it's an act of thanksgiving. 
is not some bargain to get God to stay. So, is your gift radar going off a little bit? Maybe you've been wondering what, what I need to get God. His birthday's coming up, right? What do I give the one who has it all? How about your heart? How about your heart and empty hands? And know that it's enough. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.